You're listening to Music Tectonics. Hey, this is Dimitri Vitsa with Music Tectonics at Meetum. I'm here in Cannes, France this week recording with various folks who are here at this international trade fair for the music industry. It's been going on since 1967 and it's changed quite a bit. They're expecting about 5,000 attendees this year. And uh, many of the interviews I'm doing are with uh, Meetum Lab competitors. These are startups who are competing in four categories, music creation and education, uh, data and analytics, marketing and distribution, and experiential technologies. So I just interviewed Dan Jewer from Paper Chain. Uh, he's he's Australian-born but based in New York. It's a fintech company trying to solve some problems in the music industry, including being able to see what your payouts are going to be in advance and actually getting paid by Paper Chain before you would get paid normally by the streaming services. And uh, his primary target uh, customers right now are labels and uh, he'll be pitching in the competition this week and um, probably hoping to, to meet some other labels as well. Let's go straight to the interview here from the trade hall. The background noise you hear, there's various party cocktail parties and uh, meetings going on here. But let's go to our interview with Dan. I'm here with Dan Jewer from Paper Chain, who's a participant in the 2019 Meetem Lab competition. How are you doing, Dan? I'm doing great. Cool. So let's just start off with the basic. What does Paper Chain do? It's most basic. At Paper Chain, we're building a real-time payments model for the music industry. So you think about all of the apps you have on the phone and all the services you use. You can access all of these songs and artists at the touch of your fingertips. But in reality, there's a convoluted process to go from the revenue to go from your stream to get to the label and get to the artist. And sometimes that takes up to six months and even longer. But all of the data that makes up that monetization model is available in real-time or near real-time. So effectively what we use is the data that gets generated now, price that data, and then advance money against the real-time data. So who is the user in this case? Ultimately, for now, the record labels. Uh, we have to service them because they control the economic terms and the revenue flows to the artists. Ultimately, the beneficiary for us is the artist, but our user of the platform is the record label. And so do they, is it like a SaaS model where they pay a monthly fee or are you, t you taking a cut or what's the deal? Uh, so there's two approaches there. So one is there's a SaaS so subscription model based around the revenue analytics and dashboards. So we price all of their data and then push that into an effective analytics dashboard that allows them to see, recognize revenue from day one, and then also see where their investment is going in terms of how they're generating revenue and what's the best way for them to generate ROI based on their marketing spend. So that can come in a subscription model. The second piece to it is the financing. And that's just like a cost per financing, which is just a percent of the cost of capital. So it's it's like a line of credit almost, or or uh, or or a loan in a sense, but on future payments. Yes, but only on earned payments, uh, just unpaid payments. Gotcha. Okay. So does that make it a lower interest rate than a typical loan? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. That's cool. Because the biggest challenge we have at the moment is that it's traditional loan products and expensive loan products. So if they're not using a credit card where they're paying twenty or twenty-two percent to manage, you know, their ongoing operational costs or marketing or promotions or things like that. Uh, they're taking out loans and they're paying anywhere up to 35 or even 40% to do that as well as assigning all of their royalties until they pay that back. So our goal is always to how do we get away from that? And one of the ways you can do that and to lower the risk in terms of what you're advancing against is to use based on the actual stream and not just speculating on future streams. So by doing it on the real-time data, that gives us a nice like typically 75 or 90 day window to advance against. 
Um, and that allows us to actually start to create value from day one. So you release a record yesterday, today you can see how much you generated, you can start pulling back some of that revenue from yesterday to reinvest into marketing and campaigns. So it's simply a mechanism for labels to control spend a lot more effectively. Where did you get this idea, this insane idea of, of, of pulling in like a fintech concept into this kind of right now music space? It's actually, it's been around for a while. I mean, the concept itself, it's an old business model, of course. Right. Uh, one of my co-founders, Dave Tomaselli, he found his own record label and then he built some back office software to do end run royalty reporting for it. And that was in the late 90s. Um, in mid 2000s, he launched that as a product. And so he worked with record labels to ingest the initial iTunes statements. And when music started becoming digital, he would ingest all their sales statements and do the end run royalty reports. When I met him in 2012, he was stepping away from that business, but the biggest challenge for all of his customers was always liquidity. It's like getting that money faster. And so even in 2012, we started talking about this concept of how you use all the data that's there to create like a micro factoring model. Uh, there was a little couple of things we couldn't piece together around the data and then also on the financing piece. When he and I, I had to move, I was living in Australia, uh, New York at the time, I moved back to Australia. When he and I reconnected in 2000 and end of 2016, we sort of revisited that model because now you have all the APIs were available from all the services. So you have access to more raw and fresh data. Uh, and then now you also have this concept of uh, blockchain and decentralized finance where you could turn that data into digital assets or into financial assets. So now you had the financing component as well. And that's where it really like the technology finally caught up to some of the ideas, I think. It's interesting. So are you are you involved with blockchain in this process? It's called Paper Chain, so it sure sounds like it. Yeah, yeah. So the original version of Paper Chain was more on the metadata side of things. Uh, and this was mid-2016. I was compelled by reading about the Ethereum blockchain and how you could turn tangible goods into digital assets and represent them digitally. The idea that what I found so compelling was that now, like or traditionally what happens if I was to send you a photo through Facebook Messenger, there would be at any time at least three copies of that photo. There would be one on my computer, one on your computer, and one on the Facebook server. Uh, what blockchain, which is the underlying technology of Bitcoin, meant was that at any one time there would only be one of those assets. And it was a technology that enabled scarcity in that sense. Uh, and so to be able to do that with goods like streaming data and things or metadata was very powerful to me. So the initial original version of Paper Chain was more on the metadata side of things and how you could validate metadata between different nodes in a network. It's kind of like the traditional or the typical startup mistake of building something without then really understanding what the problem was. So we built a prototype, started talking to stakeholders and it was kind of like, well, it's, it sort of fixes the problem but doesn't really address what the underlying issues were. So we spent uh, probably about a year working around the black box royalty space, which is I think when you and I first connected or came across each other's radar. Uh, and again, just couldn't find a business model that really suited. We're, you know, we're charging people, or the business model would be to charge people a nickel to find them a dime sort of thing. And it didn't really, uh, didn't really make sense. Um, and then we started looking at and the, all of the customers or potential customers we were talking to, liquidity was the, the main challenge again. So it's again, going back to revisiting the idea Dave and I spoke about is how do you do that? And where we use blockchain is simply on the financing mechanism. It's the thing we use on our back end. Our customers don't get any exposure to it. It's just simply a mechanism for us to source low cost capital to advance to our customers. I like, I like that. It's really interesting how you don't lead with blockchain since everyone else that's in blockchain is leading with that. But it also sounds like that's also, it's just a difference in the business model as well. Well, to me, it's always been 
and I never felt comfortable with it because it's the same as like saying coming in and saying, "Hey, I'm building this tech startup. We're an Amazon or an AWS tech startup, or we're a Google Cloud tech startup." It's like it's just the technology used to execute the business. Ultimately, we're trying to solve a business problem, and that's just a mechanism to do it. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. So, what have been your biggest challenges to date? Obviously, you've already pivoted significantly at least once. Uh, but what are what are some challenges that you, that really are the ones that you're like, man, that was tough. I think it just goes back to understanding some of the underlying challenges. Like, you know, we start off at a very surface level. It's like, yes, everyone wants to get paid faster, but starting to understand like why and what would be useful. You know, it's having those conversations with customers, and it's like, okay, I want to see how much revenue I'm generating every day, but just showing me that is useful in a sense but it's not going to change my business so better understanding like what is actually going to change the business or move the needle for our customers uh, that's been a challenge it's like but again it just comes from talking to customers and not making the mistake of building too much uh, and, and in, including them in that process it's interesting in the music technology space there are a lot of people with a lot of great ideas but not all of them talk to the potential customer to find out whether their great ideas are actually relevant <laughs> to their businesses or what's happening in the in the market right now. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess you learned that lesson the hard way too. <laughs> I mean, I think everyone does. It's just how quickly can you learn from it and you just don't die in the process. Right. Let's broaden out a bit because um, at Music Tectonics, we're often talking about the seismic shifts beneath the surface. Uh, when you think about the music tech landscape, what are the things that get you most excited? I think the shift that's happening in... Uh, in control in the industry now artists are definitely starting to have more economic control they're starting to have economic control in their in their deals with labels the traditional label deals are starting to slide away and they're now starting to become more label services businesses uh i think that's i think that's very compelling and it's it's going to change a lot i think and and how that relationships works where now they can deal directly with dsps and what happens to you know the roles of distributors and labels in that i think that sort of democratization is is very compelling yeah, that's interesting. It's also interesting given that you said your user base is labels at this point, that there's also this shift towards artists. Does that mean that at some point you might have to look at how your platform could serve artists? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it doesn't make economic sense right now. As I mentioned before, the labels still control the revenues. Um, and most of the artists going direct, there's simply not, there's not many of them making substantial income that where this sort of thing would make sense. Uh, and we get asked that all the time is in terms of who are we disrupting in the supply chain? Are we disrupting the DSPs? Are we disrupting distributors or labels? Uh, and it's actually, for us, it's neither. We're disrupting traditional finance because we're a fintech play. So we're disrupting lenders or you know banks or hedge funds who are charging 35 or 40% to access to advance money to, to record labels. The way we saw it was that we're actually here to not disrupt or disintermediate record labels or distributors, but to aid them and to back end them into a technology that's going to have an impact on their business over the next five to 10 years. So if we can get in now and actually aid them to already get ahead of that shift and have some of their, some of their back end components connected to this new infrastructure, when it does start to proliferate further in five or 10 years, then we're in a position where we can actually be a part of that process as well. It's actually interesting how your service both uh, addresses kind of accountability and transparency and getting advances like they're they're actually it seems like there are, I've seen some services that do one or the other and somehow you've combined the both which is kind of interesting thing about as well well I mean the the, the the analytics and the visibility piece it's a byproduct of what we're doing we have to do that for, to do the financing anyway and to do our estimates and things like that so it's not really that much of a stretch to then just take it from our database and put it into a, a web application but 
just having again conversations with labels and even artists the ability to wake up every morning and see a dollar value and say this is how much money i generated yesterday and then be able to see well is that what's the incremental lift or, or decrease from the day before you start to then can make more decisions on a much more faster beta, uh, faster basis and a faster cadence um, and when we started so we actually just went through the Techstars accelerator program uh, and when we started we wanted to validate which is the product worth building do we do the analytics piece or do we do the financing piece um, because we knew we wouldn't be able to build both of them uh, or it would be unideal to build both of them um, and the feedback that came back was like yes we want the financing but we also want the analytics because the analytics will tell us how to use that financing so um, it kind of like validated both of us for us but that was good so now again like I said it's just a byproduct of what we're doing for the financing so initially now we're just building out the analytics uh, product so we can actually we're actually onboarding labels right now into the analytics product and then the back end over time we'll start to onboard them into the financing which will take another six months gotcha and you have labels that are signed on already or you're still kind of having those initial conversations yeah no so we have seven labels on board that have joined our beta so we launched our beta in uh, when was that mid-april uh, this year and so we have seven labels on we have another five commitments that we're waiting to confirm with the paperwork uh, and also working with two distributors Gotcha. Okay. So things, the wheels are in motion. You've got real customers. So that's gay. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, and you know, when, cause now we're also fundraising as well. And so people say, well, how do you know, like, what's your validation? And now you can actually say, well, Hey, we've got customers that are using it. Right. So I said we were going to broaden out. We broadened out for half a second. Then we got right back into the nitty gritty of the business. Let's broaden out again. Are there other rumblings that you think the music industry needs to be thinking about right now? You already mentioned the kind of the shift of payouts to artists or the artists having control, um, which is kind of a direction, a trend that we're seeing and was mentioned in this morning's um, keynote by Mark Mulligan. Um, are there any other rumblings that you're sort of like keeping your ear to the ground? Yeah, I think what to do with new ways that music gets created and using Splice where it's not really clear at which point someone contributed to a song and how much they contribute a song and maybe do they get a credit or they don't get a credit it's starting to become a lot or could become a lot messier than traditionally and you don't have traditional bands uh, or band structures with a, with a leader you have 20 people around the world who are contributing in some little way to a song but that has to be attributed at some point uh, so if there is an infrastructure to be able to support that then well, yes, there will be a larger proliferation of music being created. The ability for those artists and writers to be compensated for that will become a lot more difficult if current systems aren't able to support how they get attributed for that work. Yeah, it's interesting because the, the whole issue of splits and, and credits and rights and uh, attribution and all those things have always been around in recorded music, but now there's this acceleration of creation and collaboration that just complicates it even more and now also with the the selling of rights in different territories you have that aspect of it as well so yeah that's a good point that while this there's this all this technology and kind of societal shift around the creation of, of music that's changing how people are making music and increasing the amount of collaboration that happens um, and it just creates even more data that has to be addressed as well which if you go down that path you'll have a another interesting uh, challenge to solve yeah, I mean, for us, we, we specifically for now are avoiding the publishing side of things simply because that just it's exponentially more complex than the master side of the business. Um, but and it's for us, it's a conversation about when we get to that, do we build or buy? You know, do we want to build another solution or a, ma a gold copy of everyone's master or do we just leverage another service that do that? And I think there are some interesting you know, companies that are doing that. Um, and you certainly see 
more distribution companies coming up now who are doing distribution almost as a free service. But what they're really trying to build is the ability, say like a STEM, is the ability to capture artist ownership and splits. So you mentioned Splice in this conversation. If music tech companies were baseball cards, which ones would you want in your collection of cards? What are, what are cool companies that, that kind of you've been keeping an eye on or you get excited about? Uh, I really like Jack. So I'm pretty sure you'd probably know Jack. I've heard of Jack. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. For our listeners, why don't you explain what you know about them, uh, what they do? Well, they're again trying to build a standardized metadata layer for the industry and how you can plug that into multiple data endpoints. Which again, like as we just discussed, in with some of these, uh, some of the new ways of creation and consumption that are coming up, it's becoming more and more prevalent to have a solution for that. And so they're trying to build a standardized method for that. And you know, how does that fit into DDEX and other standards and uh, you know, the standards around like using how does that plug into Counterpoint or how does that plug into other systems? They're trying to build a standard framework for those to interop- interoperate and how do different systems talk to each other. Um, and I think at that infrastructure level. Uh, those are the sorts of things that I'm very interested in because ultimately we would need to, and if we want to operate at the scale that we want to, we need to use those sorts of platforms. Are they based in Australia? Jack? No, they're in they're London. In yeah. London. Okay, gotcha. Okay. I think I was thinking of Jaxta. They're in Australia. Oh, Jaxta. Yeah. I like Jaxta too. Yeah, I like cool. the people. It's uh, <laughs> very cool. I know Jackie. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Good. And and Jack, were they part of the same Techstars class as you? No, they went through a few years earlier, actually. Oh, okay. And they went through the music one. We just went through the blockchain accelerator. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Where is that in New York? Or? This was in New York. I yeah, see. Yeah. So okay. this was their first one. And actually, I thought, you know, I commend Techstars for their approach to that. Like, if you're familiar with the space, you know, 2017 was like a, a bull market for, for cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology. Uh, and it was just interesting timing that they launched it two years later in a bear market where actually there was a lot of lack of confidence. But what they were looking for was businesses that had solid, solid business fundamentals but were leveraging blockchain technology in some way to either scale or improve or make more efficient some element of their business. So I found that very great to be surrounded by 10 other companies who were actually just solid businesses and they weren't just here to promote a token or some sort of cryptocurrency. It's interesting that that blockchain space is that seems to be sort of where things are kind of evolving a little bit where there's there was this moment where it was all about the cryptocurrency and there was a lot of energy and might I say hype about things. And now it's a lot it's a lot calmer. I think people are are trying to think about um, how to actually make it work. I think it's interesting that you guys have chosen to mostly use it on internally at this point instead of trying to kind of expect that everything's going to be connected all at once. Um, and I think you'll get a lot more respect in the music industry as a result of saying, well, that's just something we're using to keep track of stuff, but it's it's not something you're going to have to to, to worry about or you're not going to have to get paid in, in Bitcoin. Or something yeah, like that. yeah, I mean, you know, because we had those conversations and it's like, why would we need it? We don't run our business in that currency. I mean, it really just, it just became a mechanism for fundraising. Uh, but we were here even at Medem and other conferences where, you know, you get some, I'm, I mean, I'm not old, but I'm not young either, but you know, I'm 31, but, uh, you know, you get young, someone young and not really usually from the industry, but a technologist who'd come in and say, well, Hey, we have this technology and you, 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 the label, you, the distributor, you, the DSP, you're going away. We're going to disrupt you. And, you know, we're going to take away your wipe out your whole business. And, you know, they just, people just walk away from that conversation because Hey, maybe they don't want to hear it, but also B, it's just, it's just not the reality of how change happens in the industry. Like those are the people you have to get on board to make the change happen. Well, in addition to that, it, not there's certain problems that have to be solved separate from blockchain for blockchain to work the way a lot of people think it's going to work. 
Yes. I mean, ultimately, you still have to collect data. Yes. And you have to get it from the right source. And, and you have to, to validate data. it. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting. All right. Back to Meetum. Um, what is the one thing that you're hoping to get at Meetum? You're part of Meetum Lab, this competition of startups. Uh, sounds like you're pretty far along in a sense. But uh, what, what would have the biggest impact for, for um, what you're doing? I think we're, we're here to just talk to more labels, uh, talk to more labels and distributors and even some of the DSPs who are represented here uh, and understand more about how we plug into the business as usual process for, for those companies. Um, even starting to talk to artists as well, even though we can't service them directly to have artists who then start to push back on their labels as well once they realize how this can work for them. Um, to have those conversations again and have that groundswell support, that's very important for us. Cool. Uh, what? So you mentioned TechStars, which uh, is not really a competition, but are there other conferences or competition that you've been to, and and what did you get out of those? Uh, I mean, you know, we've since then we've had a couple of like pitch competitions around in Boston and things like that that we managed to to win. It's more just about how do you effectively communicate what your business does, um, and there's a really complex way. You know, it took us a long time to figure out how do we explain what we actually do. Uh, there's a complex way to explain it and it just doesn't make sense to most people. And so we always, in our head, we always had this idea of we're talking to this particular person and they're going to get it. But reality, more times than not, we're not talking to that person. We're talking to someone who has no idea about the technology or they have no idea about the problem. Well, we still even, even here at Medem, and I've been talking to people about how long it takes from money to go from you streaming it to get to an artist and they'll say, you know, it takes six months and an artist gets paid twice a year and things like that. And there's people in the industry who don't even know that. So, no. Oh, yeah. Well, you know what's interesting to me is that um, you assume that a pitch competition is frequently somebody wants to get investment or something else. Um, you mentioned that you're here to get labels or, or at least build awareness with labels. Uh, so so that's, that's cool. And then secondly, you kind of said that the pitch competitions help you hone your message. That's in a lot of ways. It's, yeah, that was your answer was, was that uh, it's hard to talk about. So in a sense, you were saying, well, the pitch competitions have helped us get better at talking about what we do. Yeah, yeah. And because you always, you always have some sort of constraint and usually it's time. Uh, and something to do with the audience as well. So how do you effectively convey what you're doing in five minutes that makes sense and get them uh, motivated to believe that you can actually execute on what you're doing? And it comes back to, it's kind of like counterintuitive because when you're trying to fundraise, you, you know, you're trying to do things or investors want to see your business in a certain way or see certain things in how you operate your business. And sometimes it's counterintuitive to actually building your business. Um, so it just goes back to if you build a good business, then the investment will come from that. So which category did they put you in at, at Medium Lab? Is it the uh, discovery and distribution or marketing and data analytics? Marketing and data analytics. Simply because, and that's the one that we felt was most made most sense because we're using data that already exists, but using it in a novel way. So we've built a machine learning model that prices daily stream data. Um, so you can see we pull in the API feeds from Spotify and Apple for our label clients. Uh, and then we price that so we can see how much revenue they generated based on their stream data from yesterday, which just doesn't happen at the moment. So it's a unique spin on existing data. And then obviously connecting that to the financial assets where it becomes a financial innovation as well. Do you get um, pushback from labels on the pricing model? Uh, no, because we're pretty we're pretty open with them about how we come to that conclusion um, and how we come to that estimate as well. I mean, ultimately, there's still estimates and our difference between our estimates and the actuals at the moment, it's about one or two percent, which isn't very much. Our outliers are maybe like seven percent. But over time, we're getting better. And we've even had some months where there's been convergence of our estimate with the actual. 
So it's about getting them comfortable with those numbers and explaining like this isn't dollar for dollar what is going to be coming, but it's within one or one or two percent. And so how you use that then becomes what's really valuable is like I can use that to see we generated X amount of revenue in this market based on this activity. So therefore our ROI for that activity was this. So now I know every time I spend more or I can take that money and reinvest it back into marketing, I know I'm going to probably generate X amount of revenue based on that. Gotcha. Cool. So have you had a chance to look at the other startups in your category or at Meetem Lab at all? Or have you just been too busy getting ready yourself? Uh, I did when I when they when they were first announced. Um, but off the top of my head, uh, what, what are some of the names? I'll know them when you talk Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, there's if uh, if we're just talking about the marketing and analytics uh, category, there's Legitary, Musicalist, uh, Museo and uh, Weedow. So those are the ones that you're you're in the same category. But, you know, sometimes it's interesting just to look at across the board. I'm curious how much camaraderie there'll be among startups that are in the process. I don't know how much you guys interact at Meetem, actually, but I, I, I haven't met any of them yet. I, I, I will. And I'm happy to be, you know, the funny thing was, is like with people like Jack and even like Ujo Music who around at the time as well, um, we're all very good friends and we catch up regularly and things like that we definitely find that we can work together and support each other more often than not um i don't think we compete with anybody yeah Yeah, that's that's kind of interesting you're competing in the competition but you don't actually compete directly with uh yeah with them in the market so yeah yeah, yeah. that's that's kind of nice yeah yeah exactly (laughs) uh did you say this was your first no you've been to meet them before Uh, 2017 was my last one Yeah, yeah yeah what did you get out of that one uh, Were you still learning about... Uh, again, it was like, because the way you're always meeting people. So again, it's about getting better at how you talk about what you do. Yeah. Uh, and that was actually something that came through Techstars as well, was that you go through this process called Mentor Madness, where over a course of three weeks, you meet about 80 people and you have 20 minutes with each person. And these are people who are investors or they're technologists or people who could add value to your business as a mentor. So in 20 minutes across 80 people, you have to spend that time wisely and spend maybe two minutes talking about what you're doing but then really what you want to do is spend about 18 minutes talking about what challenges you have and how they could help you solve them Mm. so you get really good at being like introducing your company in one or two minutes and then spending the rest of the time having a more valuable conversation about where you need help nice nice well dan this has been so great thanks for taking the time i know it's the first day of medium there's a lot left to do here um you still have the pitch to do as well yeah. good luck with the pitch yeah that's that's 11 30 oh ours is actually at 2 30 tomorrow all right good um so dan's with paper chain uh you can find out more about paper chain at paperchain.io are there any other social handles or any other contact info you want to share is that the best place to go uh we have a twitter handle which is paperchain.io no dot uh I generally end up managing it, but I'm not really on, on Twitter anymore. So, uh. <laughs> Hey, you're a fintech company, right? <laughs> it's right, 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 right. It's really about those B2B relationships. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know? exactly. So LinkedIn is the place to go. <laughs> yeah, and that is paperchain.io. Yeah, yeah great. Yeah. Dan, thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate it. Have a great meeting and good luck uh, tomorrow. Awesome. Cheers, mate. Thanks. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening with Music Tectonics at Needham, please hit the subscribe button right now on your favorite podcasting app. If you want to keep up with all of the podcasts and uh, blog posts we do, and also learn more about the Music Tectonics Conference, which we're doing October 28th and 29th in Los Angeles, including getting a discount code for $50 off on the conference, please go to musictectonics.com and sign up for our newsletter. We'll be posting more episodes soon from Music Tectonics at Meetem. Thanks for joining us. You're listening to Music Tectonics.